Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we tackle one of my favorite aspects of Dungeons and & Dragons, and that is Encounters. We go over the basics of what an encounter is, what it isn't, uh, what consists of a good encounter, and how encounters aren't necessarily fighting. So, Jimmy, we uh, are going to talk about something that feels... It's Grand Tormentor to you. Sorry, Mr. Grand Tormentor. Um, I don't really have to say that through the whole thing, do I? No, you never have to say that. Again? It's already, it's already recorded. I don't have to say it again. Um. So I wanted to talk about a uh, something about D&D that feels like it'd be very natural, it'd be very simple to put together, uh, but can be extremely complex, and that's encounters. Um, so let's start with just the very basics. So what do you consider to be an encounter? Uh, different games, that's going to be considered different things. You know, uh, it just depends what your game is like. For me, my personal take is anything that might challenge the characters as well as pushing the storyline forward. Well, ideally, all of your uh, challenges or encounters push the storyline forward if you're doing it right, I think. So that can be a number of things. It can be a, a battle encounter, of course, where you fight against an enemy. It can be a social encounter where you're interacting with NPCs to get information or for whatever end it can be environmental where it's us against uh, the environment, you know, or against the weather or against the situation that we've gotten ourselves into. And then there are other random kind of like catch all skill challenges where it could be something the characters are doing for fun, like gambling or something that happens like an obstacle course we did in a game one time. Uh, it can be all sorts of, just be really creative for that category. But those things, and ideally they push the, the party forward, whether it be like with gambling, for it's fun if you're at a pub that has gambling to partake. It can be really fun in game, especially for those of us who don't like to gamble with real money. Um, but it could also be a means to an end, uh, the fighter needs new armor. Let's get our rogue, who's naturally good at gambling, to uh, win us some money. Or it could be, you know, a battle. We need to get past this point. These are the things we've got to fight. That's simple. That's what everybody understands is the battle encounter. That's the easy one. Um, social encounters, what we talked about a lot of, in a couple of the last sessions, getting information or... Uh, we're trying to convince somebody to help you or to get out of your way, whatever the case may be. Social encounters are important as well, but usually it involves rolling dice. So I guess that was going to be my next question. So like an encounter involves rolling dice. Like there's never going to be a time where rather than just having words with somebody or getting into an argument like that won't become an encounter until say you're doing a skill check or something like that not necessarily true i mean it depends what your dm is like and what your players are like and what your game is like in general 
but I've had encounters where, you know, I have stats ready because it's an important NPC, but we roleplay the whole damn thing because I didn't feel like anybody crossed that threshold where uh, it was necessary. There was no trying to bluff or use diplomacy or bribe or uh, sense motive. It just wasn't, it didn't come up. You know, and you'll have that from time to time, and that's okay. That can still be considered an encounter if you're moving the game forward. Now, I know that there will be DMs who, or game masters in general, for whatever game you're playing, who will just say, oh, no, well, that sounds boring, or players who say, that's not what I'm interested in. And that's fine. Uh, a lot of times, yeah, it does involve rolling dice. So I guess that was going to be my next question would be because you said like it doesn't necessarily come to um, diplomacy checks or anything. So what's what determines those things? That's going to be based on what you're saying and what I'm saying. So if you're talking to like we're getting into a social encounter here um, because that's the time when it becomes really iffy. So we get into a social encounter and. It, come, it turns out that the characters have exactly what they need to offer somebody to get the information, and it's more so a game of cat and mouse. And it, it can be fun to just be in character and be your character, whether you're doing voices or not. That matters very little. Um, we're not all Matthew Mercer. We're not all professional paid voice actors who are here getting paid to play Dungeons & Dragons. We're here for fun. Do what's fun for you. So I just wanted to kind of nip that in the bud really quickly because there's a lot of people who say, oh, I don't know if I'm a good DM because I, I have a hard time with doing voices or it doesn't feel right or I don't sound the way I want to. So what? You know, if your players like your voices, that's good. If, if it's just a way to say, hey, I'm an NPC right now, that's fine too. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about doing voices if you have a hard time with it. But let's say we're just in character having a good time being your characters, and I get to be this NPC for a while. And it comes to a point where I agree with everything you're saying, and you have something that's sufficient that I've decided ahead of time as a dungeon master. This is what the bribe is going to be. He really wants um, gold. It's really easy. He's just, you know, let's make it real generic gold buys this guy off and they offer him more than I expected and he's very forthcoming with the information that's fine you can spend five or ten minutes or however long you want to being in the character but if you start to say well we offer him five silver pieces and I have written down he'll accept no less than five gold well then you've got to to try to diplomacy or bluff or you have to figure out other things that might drive this character and sense motive to see maybe maybe he's not saying that that's not enough money because he's a guard and he shouldn't be asking you for money and he's really a pretty good guy he's just willing to accept bribes occasionally because that's how it works around here so it can just be like a strange like a strange tick could kind of force a check like that it could yeah I, that's that's yeah or knowing in advance you can just set it up like i know people who do this where when you plan that same encounter where you have to bribe the guard to get by it's all mechanical and it comes down to hey we're here 
we want to get by and the guard says you shall not pass and they say here's five silver pieces and oh and okay DM, i'll let you pass <laughs> no, then the dm says uh you know this is where you have to bluff or this is where you have to diplomacy or this is where you have to challenge rating 15 or whatever right because it's just so out of the norm for the character that they're talking to yeah or yeah. you know or that's just how they dm you know, I don't do that because the challenge rating system has been ingrained into me in the system that I use for a very long time. And I don't need to think ahead about what the challenge rating is for something like that. And a lot of DMs don't, truly. It's not um, a difficult skill to master if you if you use it a lot, knowing that, you know, I play D&D 3.5, and that's my favorite version of the game. And feel free to uh, blast on me, you listeners out there, for whatever reason you don't like it, but I've heard it all, and I have <laughs> rebuttals. I have a rebuttal for everything that you have to say, So, and I'm sure we would have fun talking about it if you're not a fucking prick. <laughs> so, you know, and I like other... I'm not saying I don't like other versions of the game. I just really like 3.5 because there's so much information out there that you can use if you choose. A lot of people get caught up into that trap sure. of thinking that you have to use all the books well that's your damn fault if you decided that every book is legal you set up set it up ahead of time these are the books we're using guys because i don't want there to be any well i made my character straight out of the player's handbook and johnny made his character from all these complete warrior complete adventurer and these other books here from dark sun from second edition that you've modified and blah 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 and his character is just way better than mine so let's just yeah let's just not let's set up some guidelines i allow a lot of books my players tend to know which books i allow anyway that's beside the point i'm getting off topic here but no it makes sense because i think Again, another reason why um, for just the, the purpose of this podcast is like not to get so meddled into all of the, the the nuances of the game and to remember that, again, it's a game. We're supposed to be telling a cool story and having fun and rolling dice and like ideally telling that story together. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, it came up on the uh, on the on the other podcast, one of the one of the other podcasts we do my 51% to 49% ratio and I'm sure you're familiar with it and uh, I just thought I'd bring it up again today just because even in encounters this is applicable uh, where the the storyteller comes up with with what ends up being 51% of the story or the game master or dungeon master whatever you prefer to call yourself where the players come up with the other 49% and for the DM to be humble enough and gracious enough and whatever you want to say good enough fun enough to say yes i want your 49 percent there and the only reason it's a little bit more for the dm is he's got so much ahead of time information how can you not the overarching overarching story is something i came up with so but that can change based on player interactions even even when we're talking about in encounters because the same thing where I was thinking maybe the guard that we're talking about in this particular generic instance required a, a payoff of five gold or whatever the case may be. And the characters come up with something totally different. That's totally okay if it makes sense. And, you know, 
we start to hear better ideas or maybe they decide they don't want to even get past the guard because the guard says no right away and they think we don't want to part with any of our money so what time do you get off work man why don't you come out to the pub with us and let us buy you a drink or and if that sounds like a cool idea to the dm and i know this is a very generic instance but if that sounds like a good idea that may be end up being the way and then you might find things up about you know about this guard you find things out about him that make you feel for the the guard and you find out his name and you find out what other things he's into or you end up taking him on the adventure with you or or whatever and that's just that 49% there that's important to remember as a storyteller or dungeon master that you need to be paying attention to because your players have great ideas not only do they have great ideas uh, but it, they're also telling you what they want to do, what they think will be fun, what they want to play. And if you can incorporate that, especially if you can incorporate it in a way that you allow them to be right without them necessarily knowing that it was their idea in the first place, that it's so natural and flows so well that that's just the way the game goes. And then after a couple of sessions you can even look back and say hey you remember that oh yeah i, I totally changed that man because your idea was so much cooler than mine right yeah and it's it's a it's a team thing it's a it's a togetherness of it we're all telling this story together let's let's have fun and when you get really good at it uh that's what our volcom in our game that everybody here is online well <laughs> ideally the people who are listening to this will go over into D and D four twenty on uh, YouTube or Podbean or whatever. I don't even know what all it's on, man. That's how bad I am at this. <laughs> <laughs> and and listen to After Dust or the the From Dust recaps and enjoy those as well. Yeah, I'm there's just, uh, just that, but I don't remember what I was. Oh, I can say. put it in the the notes for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just the collection of personalities in that game is it's it's fun to listen to how they uh, go back and forth. So um, it's just entertaining. It's just entertaining. So okay, so let's take what I would consider to be a basic encounter, which would be a a fight encounter. Um, what are the basics of creating what would be considered a good encounter? It's different for each type, but yeah, if we're going to start with the battle encounter, you it we got to talk about challenge ratings because every system of D&D has a way that you match things up with the level of the party, and it's never really been great. It's never been perfect because your, your groups are so different, and D&D has such a margin for, I don't want to say error, but... Uh, levels of power and you'll hear people oftentimes say oh i totally broke the game when i made this wizard and all they're really saying is i made something that's really a lot more badass than all the other people that were in my group you didn't break the game you just played to the maximum potential and we talked about that in the past on this particular show min maxing um, we have really good players in my game now, if you take and make your character really kick-ass and, and have a really kick-ass story that makes it real and it's not the same old trope over and over again, it's unique, uh, somewhat original, 
and you're linking it to really powerful things and it all makes sense, that's not min-maxing. Um, that's making a really good character who's really good at what they do. And that's that's what I hope for. Now, if you just say, I'm Johnny Fighter and I went to school for fighting and I've got these feats that everybody uses all lined up in a row perfectly and I aligned my stats up perfectly so that I can be the best fighter I can and everything else I put into dump stats. That could be considered min-maxing, but I mean really what does it matter maybe it now it only matters when your players of, are of differing levels and it makes it not fun for somebody and that's a hard thing to say you know we talked about the guy who talks a lot and you just can't stop him from talking and he's and he's always fun it's like having a second storyteller at the game because the player is so engaged it's the same thing can happen when somebody is so familiar with your rule book that they can just make a very powerful character off the top of their head and then somebody else is struggling just to put two feats together that makes sense you know right and and i you know that's when it's not fun so if if your characters are all on par it doesn't matter if they're all power gaming it doesn't matter if that's the way they're having fun. All you have to do is raise your challenge rating a little bit. Um, and here's a way that I like to do that because at my game, it's like that. We have four or five guys who really know how to make good characters, guys or gals. Um, I get I get to play with a couple of uh, gals now, which is nice because, man, back in the day. There's nothing no, but dudes. Nothing but dude sausage party D and D, which but, isn't uh, bad. But it, you know, like it, like I think I was the first, at least that I know of, I was the first person to play a female character in uh, one in of your games. Current, in the current iteration, iteration, like yeah. When I was younger, I had a uh, a guy who, um, I don't know him to this day, but back then I really thought that he was heading toward transgender or gay or and i don't know i would assume that if i was would meet this person again today that he would come out and say yes right there's there's something there but we were young and i didn't understand all that stuff very well back then and i and obviously i don't think he did either or if he did that it was just so you know that was 25 years ago 30 years ago um but yeah i've, I've had a couple of guys play females in the past and i've even had one female player before the before the newer movement of dnd uh, actually the first game i ever played in we had a female who uh played the game which was awesome yeah. but that was that was the only one for like the first 10 games i played but you know back again i get off track because it's dnd 420 please y'all please smoke responsibly <laughs> So, well, let me ask you a question because you keep mentioning challenge rating. And, like, I understand that, like, maybe some people understand, like, there's a numbers from, you know, from zero to what? It goes up to 30, I think. Or is it 25? 20 or 25. Okay. 20, I think. So, give me what you, how you view challenge rating. Challenge rating is a guideline. A wise man once told me that rules are all like guidelines. So long as you get the job done and nobody's upset at the end of the day. So challenge rating is one of those guidelines. If you have a party of level five, 
and everybody's level five. You know, in a perfect world, that's how it works. You got four players that who are level five, and it's, it it explicitly states this in three point five. And I've looked over it in a few other editions that I played in. I haven't DM'd a lot of fifth edition yet, so um, excuse me, fifth edition players. And I know fourth edition was very similar to three point five where the challenge ratings were meant for four players of a certain level. So if you take a challenge rating five and put it against a party of four level five players who have adequate stats and adequate items, as far as the book kind of recommends, which that can be uh, kind of wonky because some players like high magic games, other players like lower magic games. Um, so that can skew it a bit. All kinds of things can skew it. The way you roll your stats skew it a bit. And we always had so many different ways. Some people roll straight up 3d6. You make six numbers. You assign them to some stats. That's going to make for a very weak character. So that's going to skew your challenge rating and make it tougher for you. But ideally, um, that's how it works. So if your group starts to beat those things really easily, you're going to know pretty much right away that you want it to be tougher. So if you have a challenge rating of five going against four level fives and they blow right through it in two rounds and you really want it to be tougher, you could bump it up to a six challenge rating six and try that. You know, you're going to have so many combat counter encounters over your game um, that hopefully you'll be able to uh, adapt and to, to kind of navigate that if you have a hard time navigating it, um, ask your players point blank. Was that too easy? At, wait till the end of the session. Don't ask during the session. You'll seem like a like you're fishing. Yeah. But um, you know, or even if you've got somebody you really trust in the game, or you really like are close with in the game, that you can talk to about it, so you don't have to seem like uh, the not so good DM or whatever. You know, ask, do you think, what do we think? And that's, that's fine. That way, the next time you make an encounter, you can totally bump it up if you need to. I know in my group, because we have such strong players and I like to treat the characters as heroes, um, they tend to blow right through certain encounters. I, I have a really hard time with my game and I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it, that I thought that would be tougher, guys, has come out of my mouth. Yeah. The dice decide that too though. True. But it's it's all about you want to use a percentage of your party's resources that challenges them. So if you're going to have two fights before they rest, you want to make sure you're using 30 to 40% of their resources during those fights or they're never going to feel like that they have a challenge. They're never. They're just gonna walk around thinking that you know they're the king of the hill and they can just knock anything out. If that's the game you want to play, cool. But oftentimes, even the players who want to win all the time want to have some challenges. So you, be careful, however, when you start to bump up, because if they start breezing through that party of level fives, they start breezing through challenge rating fives. You bump them up to six. And they start breezing through that. Then you bump them up to seven. 
and they fight it and it's not too bad and you think great i found it the very next battle you pull another challenge rating seven and it totally massacres them because the what the challenge ratings also do and i've noticed this as a dm is they tend to put in front of the characters what they should be ready for at that level therefore certain spells get unlocked when you get to level five or level seven or eight that may not have been available at a lower level or that power might not have been available so that one thing becomes the crook in your side that one thing becomes the detriment of the battle and it can be difficult to recognize those if you're not an experienced dm so well i think that's another thing that i've noticed that you do so there was two things that i've noticed is like you seem to be the very plus one dm where it's like um, somebody will roll and be like, all right, I rolled a 14. And you're like, eh, you just missed him. And it's like, and then somebody casts a spell to give everybody plus one on, you know, to hit and to damage and stuff like that. And you're like, for whatever reason, it seems like that plus one is really what pushes the, the party forward. So it doesn't seem like a slog in battle. It's just like that for whatever, that extra oomph, you know, that we needed to make it feel like as a team, we're about, we're doing this together. I don't know how you, I mean, I kind of get an idea of how you do it. But I don't know, for whatever reason, it always seems like everybody has their part. As long as those parts are played, the things typically go pretty smooth, provided the dice roll correctly. Um, well, it's something I do as a DM is I roll encounters ahead of time. Now, I don't recommend that everybody does this because it might take you fucking forever to do. But I'm really quick at it because I have a knack for the numbers. I've been playing the game so long. I like running numbers and seeing what the average roll is going to be for each character to hit and comparing those with the things that they have to hit, the difficulty classes of saving throws and all that stuff, um, armor classes, and know how, about how many times if the that this is going to take to kill this thing. What spells need to be cast? What are the average numbers on those spells? What's the average saving throw against those spells for the enemies? And then I just roll a whole bunch of 20-sided dice and start picking them out. Like, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And I know how the battle's going to go in real life. And, well, in simulated real life. In <laughs> simulated real life. With <laughs> in the Matrix. Averages happening, yeah. happening for damage and stuff. Because I don't roll all the dice. For me, as long as I'm rolling a whole bunch of 20 sided, it makes it fun for me to do. And at the same time, it gives me a little more, like, instead of just using all averages, because no encounter goes like that. At least the hits and the saving throws and everything that uses a 20-sided die, I've rolled for and pulling out blindly. Oh, yeah. It'll never be the average. Right. It's always It's always however the night's going. It's like if we're all rolling bad, then the whole night we're rolling bad. But if we're all rolling good, then we roll good all night. Yeah. So, so what, instead of just adjusting power or, uh, I'm sorry, challenge ratings, you can also add other bad guys of lower level as speed bumps like okay my party's blowing through level five or challenge rating fives my party just blew through a challenge rating six but i'm afraid to go to love that challenge rating level seven now because what jimmy just said is that that could uh add a thing in where the just the saving throws are too high or the the, the ability is too tough. It has magic resistance now, and my players are just not equipped for that. Uh, 
or this thing you must use magic against it to defeat it if you're lower level things like that happen and i don't have the spells so i'm afraid to go to challenge rating seven so what do i do okay use a challenge rating five and pair it with a challenge rating four that's going to be quite a bit substantially hard and the book also tells you if you have a challenge rating five along with another challenge rating five then it makes it a challenge rating six for the party. So again, that's 3.5 terminology, um, but it works and it seems like it'll work with fifth edition as well. Um, I do not know with fourth edition, man. I, I don't run fourth edition. I was going to say, I think we all kind of skipped over fourth for some reason. Oh man. I know a lot of people who still play fourth. Oh really? Oh yeah. I just bounced uh, off of it real quick and, and then when five came out, like I treaded feels, lightly. I can tell you this, man. It feels like suspiciously like D twenty modern, mm. which I don't, I don't necessarily like D twenty modern, but it's it's sufficient, right? So, so, so now we're adding bad guys to make the challenge rating tougher. We've added a challenge rating four and it didn't seem to make much difference put three challenge rating fours on there or five challenge rating threes in there with a challenge rating five those are a lot of speed bumps they take rounds to get through especially if you space them out on the map properly so that one fireball doesn't just wipe them out and so that a spell needs to be used for this round for your powerful caster in order to just deal with that if that buys somebody who should be like fairly um, challenging against the PCs a little bit of time to cast that one big spell or use that big breath weapon or use that big tough ability kind of free of charge like that slights the battle big time so I like putting a lot of cha small challenge ratings on the board sometimes because it takes time and it makes the characters feel like badasses. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, there's not, there is not a better feeling than rolling, I don't want to say low, but definitely not like an 18, 19, or a nat 20, and then just cleaving the shit through somebody, just like in one fell swoop. Like, man, that just, that feels like a turn well made. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a good round right there. <laughs> yeah, I go, oh, I got a 14, and the DM goes, that's a hit. Yeah. Oh shit! Really? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Roll for damage. Yeah. Yeah. You just caught him. Give me some damage on that, and you're like seventeen. Like, oh, you cleave the thing in half. Okay, that is cool. Sure. And there are situations where I set up tons of that so that the party can have fun just hacking through shit. It can be a blast, but not all the time. Right. So, like you know, but again, if I'm buying a buying some time for a caster. Because you need it. If you're playing a caster who's a challenge rating five against level five party, then one hit on that guy is going to kill him. So you need to use the terrain to your advantage. Use the, the NPC's intelligence or wisdom or charisma or whatever good stat they have to their advantage when thinking about your encounter. So... That'll make it so much tougher. So if we think about this challenge rating five, and I've been putting them up against the players in dungeon-like fashion, you walk into a room, it's their fight. That's not great. 
you're going to a lot of times blast right through that because that guy was supposed to have a 19 intelligence. Make it reflect that on the map somehow. If I get into a fight with somebody significantly more foolhardy than myself and I know the terrain I'm in, it's over. I know where, where things are. I know where people tend to attack from in this environment or where I can go for the best defense. I use that terrain to my advantage. I use everything at my disposal to try to beat this group. And I hate to tell you guys, but you or myself or most of you DMs out there do not have an intelligence of 19. So you need to make it happen in game. So if the you might even say when the players come in to the encounter that he knew where they were going to be. Why? It doesn't matter. He's just that fucking smart that he knew where you would come from. So he's you haven't placed his token in your head yet or on the board or in your diagram of the map. Like a lot of times you're going to place those tokens ahead of time. You're going to know exactly where they go. You're going to know exactly how to set it up. And if you're not doing that, entertain that concept, especially for smarter bad guys. Wait. Wait to see. That way you can put stuff just out of spell range or just out of area of effect range of spells. Like, oh, I'm only going to set it up so that that fireball can really only hit two of the bad guys. Why? Because they're intelligent. They might know that that's a, a tool at your disposal. It doesn't matter. Just make it tougher that way. Use that wisdom to their advantage. If they have a high charisma, you know, the bad guy has a high charisma, they're probably going to have a lot of flunkies under their thumb. Take that into consideration. Once you start taking those things into consideration and think, how can I use that to the NPC or the the big baddie's advantage, you'll start seeing your encounters get tougher. Add little bits of terrain there that make it hard for your party to get to wherever that person is. And that'll make a world of difference. And another thing that you sort of touched on, which was playing more towards the character strengths, another thing that I've noticed that a lot of DMs I don't see doing is um holding on to character sheets you know or even you know asking for updated character sheets as you guys as you level up because kind of goes back to what you were mentioning with the the challenge rating stuff it's like maybe the challenges don't need to be harder they just need to be more creative you know what i mean so oh, like yeah the difficulty challenge could be the same but now just you know trying to cut this guy in half isn't going to work for xyz he needs you know he's 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 now uh he's not resistant to fire now or something like that so only a fire spell that say you know one of your players just learned is like oh or you could use it towards like oh we've this person has a feat that they've never used yet how can i use that in the next encounter to kind of make it make that player a little bit more of uh kind of like the ring um spotlight yeah at the that maybe had never been before yeah, of course, man. We kind of talked about that last week in the last episode that uh, somebody who loses interest a little bit, that's a good way to draw them back in, and it's a good way to set up encounters. I actually um, really like to do that where, look, this thing is highly susceptible. I just did it in the past, um, the past game of From Dust. So they fought against a black pudding and it, i set it up 
well, I, I set up the whole encounter with a couple of other encounters. So they, they they come across some dark elves, and it's that type of thing where they happen upon them, and it's a slaughter. They they go to slaughter town on the the uh, the dark elves, and I wanted it to be that way. I wanted to give a little bit of a sense of false security being near this dark elf city, and um, and I wanted to kind of show that these guys are brash and they think they're better than you, so they kind of arrogantly fight you, and then they get slaughtered because your group is a badass. Okay. <laughs> so what happens when you kill a bunch of dark elves and a couple get away, they go back to their rogues guild and they get the help of some of their buddies and they know the lay of the land now better than you ever could have dreamed. This is their city. You don't live here. You don't know this area. They do. And they understand where you're trying to go. So they know the tunnels, they set traps they lead you toward traps. They put in illusions that guide you the way they want you to go. They do all that stuff. And you end up where they want you in their traps. So they the characters end up in a place where they have to um, go through this tunnel where light's coming through the other side, which is really peculiar near a Dark Elf city. Now, for me, I'd be like bells and whistles going off. Right, exactly. Especially knowing Dark Elves have fairy fire at will. So they go through the door and they want to check out where the light's coming from. I said, well, from this side of the door, you look up and you see that there's a, a big stone ball up there. A roughly hewn ball. You can't tell how it's suspended in place. It's like part of the ceiling, like it's been carved out of it or something. And it's lit up with this luminescent kind of uh, wavery soft white light uh, I picture it as kind of like the sun if the sun were white instead of yellow so it's like I want to get a better look at it and see how it's held up there so okay so you do you want to get like directly under because you can't hardly see it from where you are he says yeah I want to get directly under it I don't know about you but I'd have been tra checking for traps perhaps he thought that one second later when the ball fell on him because he heard a click under his feet set something off there was only a 30 percent chance that anybody would click it if they stepped there because ideally this trap would catch more people under it not the first person so they were coming from a lake area and this is like a little runoff of the lake like a little tributary tiny little uh, aqueduct coming away from the lake and it's a straight shoot about 50 feet out and it's really slick and so the thing falls. It's meant to catch you guys off guard and crush you under its weight and roll down this little hill and then get wedged somewhere else. And I'll still allow you to fall past where the stone goes. Then you fall. The people who fail fall and they slide down this thing because it's slippery. I had a like a uh, dexterity based um, reflex check and they fall 20 feet and there is a black pudding at the bottom. That's how I made the black pudding tougher. They're level 7. The black pudding is level 7, or challenge rating 7. There are five of them, so already a challenge rating 7 isn't that tough. But I set it up. I split the party because some of them didn't fall, so they're 20 feet up, and they don't necessarily want to drop the 20 feet that the others had to. A bunch of them took some damage in the trap, it's awkward. 
and they're in a little room where the black pudding has access to all of them who are down there. It's a pit trap. The black pudding is the same size as the pit trap almost. So that made that black pudding that if you would have just kind of happened upon it in a tunnel, it's not that tough. But it was set up so that the monk could really shine because fire damage is going to hurt the black pudding. Right. Bludgeoning damage is going to hurt the black pudding, whereas slashing and piercing damage doesn't affect it. So slashes are coming in. Everybody's using swords. The normal guys who are doing damage, it's not working. Where the monk has really been lackluster for us. So I wanted to give him a chance to shine. He was able to every time when he'd hit that thing, it's all of his damage coming. It's not getting nerfed in any way. The others could hardly figure out why they couldn't cut through this thing. Every time a big hit comes from a sword, the thing just splits in half. Seems to be just as tough. I remember a a similar one like that where... um... I don't remember what game it was, but the group approached something. We were like, oh, we're going to slaughter this fucking thing because there's X amount of us. There's only one of him. And then suddenly, like, we all just became entangled for, like, two rounds. So, like, our speed's cut in half. Like, we got to make checks every time before we can actually do something. And it was, like, it was one of those encounters where it's, like, we were just, you know, we thought we were hot shit and we were walking to this battle. And then we just came across something that, one, we hadn't come across from before or came across before. And two, there was no way in hell we were prepared for it. So it became like this slog of like um, just praying for high rolls and stuff like that. And it sounds like it sounds like something similar that you just talked about. Like it was just, yeah, it was a way it's to a great, great way to make a tough bad guy tougher or a bad guy who's not so tough seem tough. And, you know, that was just a trap that was set intentionally by intelligent people. These dark elves, they knew that this thing was there. It's been there for years. It's been set, ready to kill for a long time. And they just led the players into it. So, and there was other, a few other little things kind of leading up that to that point that really had the characters off guard for this really tough encounter. Um, and, you know, that kind of, the, the black pudding touches on a couple of things. A couple, it touches on one, if I've got these guys who have great swords who are kind of maxed out with great swords. They can do some damage. Um, and another guy who has claws, he can morph into a hole and low or what that's in my game. That's a cave lion is what hole and low means in Dwarven. And uh, this guy can, he's got slashing. They're all using slashing with great sword uh, claws. And then, they're doing 20 damage 25 damage per turn and no matter if the bad guy's got 150 hit points and a 20 armor class doesn't matter those guys are just raping into it making it so hard well the black pudding's got a bunch of hit points and slashing damage doesn't matter so find something like that that nerfs their greatest weapon and you don't want to do it all the time because you don't want to frustrate those players. But if you want to change the pace, that's a great way to do it. Just find something that their greatest weapon is nerfed against. But know that, make sure that other people can harm it, especially if they're creative. And then perhaps the person who's so used to doing 25 damage can switch over to that little sap that they've got. Or they switch to their fist because they have improved unarmed strike or... 
or or they can um, you know do something else in the group to make the, the make themselves useful and interesting the whole idea is to try and make them be creative and you know again don't do it all the time especially if they're not that creative as players um, because then you'll just frustrate and annoy them so you want to try to use different ways when approaching that challenge rating to kind of grease the wheels as it were other than just raising or lowering it or adding there's so many ways to get creative in fact um, I feel like I've taken up the whole episode just telling you a few of those ways no it's good man I think it's good um, and I think you know probably the best way to close this out is just to talk about um, what are some common mistakes so we talked we've touched on some of them you know like the difficulty class being too high or too low um, what are some I guess what are some rather than common ones what are some more uncommon ones that you've come across um, uncommon mistakes oh geez I think not having a good balance and I don't know if that's common or not not having a good balance of types of encounters only you know really relying on battle encounters or the same type of um, of social encounters or skill challenges you know try to vary it up as much as possible I know in my game I have two to three encounters per night in a four-hour session because we do a lot of role-playing i mean a lot of deep role-playing so if we can get through three or you know two well say two to four encounters in a night i like one or two to be combat one to one or two to be um social and then maybe another one that relies on the weather or environment or something quirky to kind of keep the players on their toes, but really adds to the the ambiance of the game. So I guess I guess that's a common mistake or an uncommon. I don't know how I know that it is a mistake that I've seen happen before, where people just slug through battle encounters over and over and over, and then their social encounters last about thirty seconds, and then it's another hour long battle that's what your players want cool but know that you can do so much more and really engage those character sheets and engage those players with other types of challenges i think that's important to keep in mind thanks for listening to this episode of the D 420 podcast for everything D 420 related check out dnd420.com if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at DND420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at DND420. We will see you next week.